Anti-human trafficking warrior Rosy Orozco explains how open borders are encouraging human sex trafficking into our country. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, Rosy will explain the horrific reality many women and children are suffering in the U.S. Follow the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Caltech Innovation is back to back. You've heard me talk about Caltech's P50 pistol. Now here comes the new 9mm P15 carry pistol. Quality engineered, the 9mm P15 carry pistol is the lightest, thinnest of its kind in Caltech's first striker fire handgun. And as another first, the P15s feature a totally unique patent pending 15 round extended magazine. Now, other features include ambidextrous grip, safety, reversible mag release, and the hybrid fiber optic night sights with full. Fully adjustable rear. That all comes standard. It's from Keltec, inventors of subcompact polymer and now metal handguns. The P15's gator grip texture on the polymer version increases stability and makes for easy, accurate handling, while the all-metal version offers comfortable but positive traction and a really beautiful wood grip panel. The P15 is the dependable firepower you need to secure your world. See the new 9mm P15 first up close and personal at KeltecWeapons.com. That's K-E-L-T-E-C Weapons.com. Dana Lash's Absurd Truth Podcast. New York Times bestselling author for his latest book, which we had on, we had him on to talk about, In the Blood, which is the latest in the James Reese series. He joins us now because July 1st is when Terminalist premiered on Amazon Prime. If you haven't watched this series, you should. I think it is the best series on streaming right now. It is so well done, so good. This, I mean, there's not, I don't have a complaint. It's just really well done. Not that I would complain, but congratulations just on another feat in a new medium. Well, thank you so much. It's, uh, yeah, it's been crazy. The response to it, not just in the U.S., but around the world is off the charts. On the audience side of the house, uh, critic side, uh, yeah. not so much, yeah. but uh, that was to be expected. It's and, not, uh, yeah, it's not made for them. As you said, it's made for the people in the arena because I saw the Rotten Tomatoes thing. It was like whenever Rotten Tomatoes has something rated horribly, I know I'm going to love it because the audience <laughs> rating was like 90 something percent and Rotten yeah. Tomatoes, if, unless it's some like, you know, fuddy-duddy art house thing, they're not going to be into it. But I know that there was some, you know, if you have the typical people, if it's not woke enough, if it's not, you know, this, but that's not you write what you know you did. This is, I mean, recalls so much of your experience, but also it's telling the story of this character. So I don't know why wokery has to be involved in this at all. It's silly. Yeah, it's like if it's not shoved in there and forced in there, they're still upset. Even if it's just not one way or the other, it's just a story. Like there's no uh, conservative, uh, liberal, right, left, uh, Republican, Democrat. None of that is mentioned yeah. in the show yeah. at all. But uh, just because it's not and it's not uh, mentioned in a way that is favorable to that agenda, then they just get very upset. Um, and it's interesting on the critical side because this is definitely a different show than other ones out there. Yeah. It's not like plug and play action movie where it's just straight up action or straight up revenge. Uh, it's really different in the way it's done. So uh, I think if it had had maybe some of that other stuff, that other agenda <laughs> forced in there, maybe right. they'd love it. But then audience score would be about a zero. So uh, well, yeah, it would take we, you. It would <laughs> obliterate your suspension of disbelief because I think you do a really good job in your books. I thought you did a really good job, and we have the the original Terminalist too. I thought you did a really good job of of putting the reader in it, and I was really interested to see how the story was going to transpose to. Know, screens and you really do feel like you're right in there and even though James Reese is a total badass I mean there's still parts of him that every you it's weird because you can identify with some aspect of him uh, definitely his family at any point and it really 
put you right in there. So all of that stuff would have just been a hurdle, which I'm sure you were very sensitive to. Oh yeah, yeah, and a lot of it's and a lot of it's so personal. So I try to detach myself, but then I see the scene in the first episode where James Reese comes home and opens the door and quietly shuts it behind him, and then sees his wife and daughter for the first time in months. And uh, I got that in the book yeah. from an actual homecoming that I had, where wow. I came home and I saw wow. them through the little stained glass portion of the window, and then so uh, so it was very uh, similar to what I experienced in real life. But I think it also speaks to a lot of people that come home, and especially the next morning scene where he's trying to kind of get to know his wife and daughter again at breakfast. It's one of my favorite scenes actually in the whole in the whole series. And so many veterans have reached out to me and said that that particular scene uh, of James Reese trying to reconnect but not really being there, thinking about what happened, thinking about downrange still, uh, trying to make some sort of a conversation with his wife and daughter, that that really hit home for them. So, yeah. Um, so really, yeah, that, I've heard from a lot of people that that was powerful for them. We're talking with Jack Carr, New York Times bestselling author of Terminalist and of course the the James Reese series and that scene and there was an I don't want to gosh I don't want to give away too much I just think people there was one there were, I'll just say this there was one there was one particular scene that involved some other people who are serving and were looking for him and he places around on a rock and that signifies a shot that he didn't take I mm. was unaware of that that and that's actually a thing Talk to me about this because it's little it's things like this that maybe take up, you know, a minute of the story or a page in the book that really make it really put you right in there. Talk to me about that a little bit, though, if you can. Yeah, so that one came from something in real life that happens to me in a shot I didn't take as a sniper. And in the book, I, I, I fictionalize it and call it Fallujah. In real life, it was in Najaf, Iraq, back in the summer of 2004. But I weave that into the storyline because I talked about that with my platoons and troops ever since that, talking about, you know, you are the last person in this line of decision makers that starts with the president and weaves its way all the way down to you. That 18 to, let's say, 28, 30-year-old person who is on the trigger deciding whether you're going to press that trigger back and take a life or not. So it goes all the way down from the top. And I talk about a shot that I didn't take and uh, how I sleep very well because I didn't take that shot. So we have to be decision makers out there on the battlefield at that low, at that tactical level. We're the last decision makers in that chain. But then also in the story, there's another part farther on where James Reese can clack off an ambush in the book and kill a bunch of people that are coming after him. And he's and he sees somebody because he's on this revenge mission without constraint and he sees somebody that he recognizes and he doesn't do it, thank goodness. Um, and that really essentially saves him. Yeah. So in the movie or in the series, we change that up and we put a bullet right there so that they know that he had them in his sights and he could have pressed that trigger, but he didn't. I love so, the, uh, the reverent <laughs> reaction of everyone involved. They're like, oh my gosh, like he, and they knew it. And it was just so well, they were just so well done. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, talking with Jack Carr, New York Times bestselling author, Terminalist, He's got the series out on Amazon Prime, which if you haven't binged it, you should have already watched it. And it, <laughs> let me ask you a quick question on that. Were, do you favor like one episode release per week or do you like it all at once? I think it depends on the show for this all at once for sure was the way to go. But I kind of think it's uh, if you have a fan base already, how much excitement, how much advertising marketing is in play. So I think there's a lot of different things at play there. Uh, but for something like this, all at once, eight episodes, so you can watch it as an eight-hour movie was the way to go. And so many people binged it in eight hours. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we 
as a movie. We filmed it as one big movie and they should watch it. When someone reaches out to me and says they're watching it on their phone, I'm always like, no, because we filmed it for like a gigantic screen. So the biggest screen you can find to watch it on is the way to go. But uh, but I think eight hours is the way to go because people like to like to binge these days, especially something that's coming out Fourth of July weekend, or let's say Memorial Day weekend or something like that. And you have these three days and people are going to be at home barbecuing and having fun. And boom, now you can just binge this thing. You don't have to watch one and be like, oh, I wish they'd drop this all at once. Because then you have to hear about that also. You can't just tell your spouse or your kids, I wish they dropped that. You can tell everybody on social media. You can reach out and ping right. everybody. And, say, so, and so you don't have to hear that. Let's just drop this thing all at once. And uh, that was the way to go with it. It makes so much sense, too, because the way some of those some of the episodes ended, you're like, oh, my gosh, skip, skip credits, skip credits. Uh-huh. Just go into the I only watch like the intros to the first episodes and last episodes of anything. And so I did that with this, but I'm every the rest of the time we're like, no, skip, 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 skip credits. Just go right to the next because it ends. And I would imagine with and this is kind of I'm, I'm trying to trap you here with future books and future series. You know, you're you would probably do it the same way all at once and not, you know, hang and everybody out week by week. Yes, I think if there is a second season, then uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll do it. But uh, I was just working on that this morning. So if we get that call from Amazon and, and they, they say, hey, it's a go, that we're ready. So I have this outline, another eight episodes uh, for book two. But some things change now because in book two, things are kind of hurtling towards this uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine that might happen. And I wrote that book in 2016, 17, came out in 2019. But now that's happened, mm-hmm. so I can't use it as something that uh, that that James Reese can avert somehow. Uh, now I have to figure out another way to another geopolitical type of a uh, cataclysmic type event that things are, are rushing towards. So I need to figure that out. Yeah. That's the one that I'm trying to because it made so much sense with the last book, but now that you know it's actually happened, makes it a little working. different. Yeah, it's a little. It's and that has that's a struggle for an author, I would imagine, particularly when you know you have your book already and now you got to get the teleplay done, and then oh my goodness. We're working with Chris Pratt. I thought Antoine Fuqua did a great job. He's one of my favorite directors. I love the so, stuff that he does. I there's, I think some of my movies like uh, Training Day and the, Mag- the Radio Magnificent Seven, also starring uh, Chris Pratt. Those are some of my favorite films because I love I love his uh, just the pace at which he at, at which he does his films and I, everything about it. Uh, this was a very serious role for Chris Pratt when you yeah. were first initially uh, you know having all these conversations i'm not sure at, like at what level you play in in having this i mean we all feel like we're experts because we saw the offer uh so we feel like we're experts about how movies are made now but what uh, because he's played some really lighthearted characters really funny characters he has had some serious roles this is i think by far his most serious role to date it really showed another side of him and he really I mean, he really was Reese. Talk to me about your feelings on that and when how that came together. Yeah, I think he's shown everyone who just thought, oh, he can only do Guardians of the Galaxy and Avengers, a kind of campy-ish right, type right. character. Um, they showed them that he can do anything. He has this range, and I knew it. I knew it well before Guardians of the Galaxy and Jurassic World and all that. Uh, I knew it back when I started typing this thing out in December of 2014 when he was only on Parks and Rec and played a very small role in Zero Dark Thirty as a SEAL. So I saw that transformation, and I didn't want someone who had already done action movies before. I wanted someone new. I wanted kind of someone that was likable, that was funny, um, because you're gonna maybe have to forgive him for a few things he was gonna do. So if you go into it already liking him personally and professionally, uh, but then see him do something new. Then you have that kind of psychologically, you're already with him. Uh, so back in 2014, I thought that. And then my friend gave uh, gave him a copy of the book before it even hit shelves. I had no idea that I even had any connection to him whatsoever. But as I was typing, 
I was picturing him playing the role and I was picturing Antoine directing. So even though I had wow. no connection publishing and uh, yeah, crazy. So I was picturing those two. And then my friend calls me to thank me for something I did for him in the SEAL teams five years prior. And I didn't remember what it was. And, uh, and he said, as a thank you for that, uh, uh, I'd like to read your book and maybe give it to a friend of mine. And I said, no problem, who's that? And he said, Chris Pratt. I said, oh, that's interesting, very convenient for me because I pictured him playing this role as I was writing it. And I kind of thought of like Tom Hanks in the 80s doing all comedy and then taking a risk with Philadelphia in the early 90s and being able to do anything else after that. So I was kind of thinking along those lines, like who's that person that needs to take a risk as an actor that has this range, is inherently likable um, and is the right age to pull this off and would want to do something like this, comfortable with weapons at the same time, that was very important. Um, and then boom, that's Chris Pratt. And then my friend gave him the book. He read it in late December of 2017, called the first week in January of 2018 and wanting to, to option it. So called the, called the week later. And, uh, and then my other friend gave one to Antoine at the same time. That's and then Antoine, wild. And then they called each other and figured it out and said, let's do this together. And so now we're all three executive producers on it. And we had a, a fantastic time making so it. So in addition to writing books, you could also be a casting director too. I mean, that's what I'm pretty much hearing <laughs> at this point. Talking yeah, the casting was interesting. Yeah, yeah. as an executive I got to to be involved in that and see how they how they did, especially during COVID when nothing was in person. Yeah. But you kind of already knew the people that you wanted for a lot of these a lot of these roles, uh, even though you had uh, casting videos come in and all that sort of a thing. But uh, yeah, that was it was. I learned a lot this last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Learned a ton, that's for sure. I, so. And I, I really liked the relationship that uh, Reese in the series had because I was very interested to see who was going to be playing whom and and you know the mm -hmm. character of Ben. And I'm not. I don't want to give any. People need to watch it so I don't have to worry about like spoiler. Alert and all of this because at first you know it, even reading the book at first you're like man you need to find you a friend like him oh my gosh no and yeah. that's all i'm gonna say um yeah. it's because oh. and, and you're right you're so right with 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 pratt's likability his amiableness for the lack of a better way to put it uh because reese is a dark character man reese has got some baggage but at the same time he's i mean he is the perfect anti-hero he really is and and I think that if you didn't like the guy playing him or he didn't seem likable, you'd really hate this guy. That could have been a gamble. Exactly. Exactly. No, I was, I was, that was, uh, I thought about that quite a bit as I was typing away in my little rental house in Coronado, California after my last year in the SEAL teams. That was uh, at the forefront of my thought process. Uh, but I never wasted time thinking like, oh, what if Chris Pratt doesn't take this role? What if Antoine Fuqua doesn't direct it? <laughs> I never thought about that. I I was, that. As a child of the 80s, I was like, that's just how it's going to happen. You write a book, it becomes the number one New York Times bestseller, and then A-list actor and director want to do it. Um, and then you get your publisher that exactly want, that you, who you want. It's Simon & Schuster, Emily Bessler in this case mm. who is uh, amazing and i saw her in the back of books by brad thor and vince flynn and they're thanking her at simon and schuster so i picked her as well before she knew who i was That's uh, awesome. so it all, awesome. it all like <laughs> it all kind of crazy how it all all worked out one last that's... quick question our friend jack carr new york times best-selling author behind the terminalist you make a uh, an appearance uh you don't you do. have, i feel like this would have gone out very differently if <laughs> the uh, because you know you and reese kind of you know, crosshair, sure. so to speak. I don't know. I, I feel like that would have been real different in real life. That's all. I mean, however you want to answer that, because we both, my husband and I are both were like, no, no, no. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And I made sure to tell Chris beforehand as we we're blocking that scene that, hey, buddy, this is just make believe in real life. This would go down a lot differently. <laughs> just so you know. so. 
That's that. <laughs> it was I internal love illusions it. that it would not, but yes. that was so much fun. That was so much fun to do. And it was crazy. The guy who stunt doubled me for the crash, they wouldn't let me do the crash. Um, but uh, the guy that stunt doubled me is the same guy that stunt doubled Mel Gibson jumping off the tower and lethal weapon back in the day when he's handcuffed to that guy. Oh, yes. So I, I know that scene. Woo. That's okay. Very uh, impactful movie to me back in the day. And uh, then I saw Mel Gibson at UFC. We went out there for a UFC thing. Uh, the terminal list sponsored it and everything. Um, but I, Mel Gibson was in the front row uh, a few a few seats down from me. So I got to tell him that. And he was fantastic. He said, that's a great connection. He was just so, so cool. It was, it was amazing to talk to him about that. That's so, awesome. I love yeah, how they, all of this came together. Let me do I got to do all the rest of it and see how they put the bullet holes in the glass when they're shooting and all that stuff. That was really interesting. Yeah, I love this. I and and I'm so happy. I can't wait to see the next one, which I'm sure you will tell us as soon as it happens because the first one it's number one on Amazon Prime. It is the number one streaming series on Amazon Prime for good reason, and you gotta watch it. It's The Terminalist, starring Chris Pratt, written by Jack Carr. Congratulations, Jack. Here's the book too, and then oh wait, don't forget also get his latest in the blood which was just released amazing amazing so, now there's a few out there with this guy on the cover i know that. now you got the yes now you got the special ones you got the special copies. that's right awesome that's jack right. carr terminal list is the series go and binge it jack always good to talk with you congrats my friend thank you so much for everything appreciate it take care and now all of the news you would probably miss it's time for dana's quick five brought to you by caltech so apparently they call it Snip for shake. This is so weird. Free milkshakes are offered to customers showing pr- proof of a vasectomy in Nashville at a hot dog restaurant. So they're actually doing this. They're at, they began offering them after the Roe v. Wade thing with Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health and all of that. And they said customers are required to show a doctor's note to qualify. And I'm all about vasectomies for people who don't want to take responsibility for the life that they create. So go right ahead. I, I don't have any opposition to this. Where's the where's the bad about it? I don't know. Uh, let's see. So Amber Heard wants a mistrial and she says the wrong juror was seated in the Johnny Depp defamation trial. Not going to happen. Uh, pay up. Or, you know what, maybe next time don't falsely accuse people of things that they didn't do. Uh, The Georgia Guidestones story grows curiouser and curiouser. The, there was this promise of, I guess, what, treasure? But apparently it was a bust. I could have told you that. They unveiled this thing that was built and, I guess, erected in 1980. It was demolished Wednesday after an explosion. And so... They said that uh, a slab on the site had two unfinished lines that said place six feet below on this spot. It was to be opened on and they couldn't find anything. Duh. Of course. You mean it's a troll. It's one giant troll is what it is. My friend Stephen Yates joins me next. We got a lot of stuff to discuss, including how the Shinzo Abe assassination ended up giving his party a supermajority. Stick with us. As long as I've been alive, settled case law in the United States has been that the Constitution protected a right to privacy, and that has now been thrown out the window by justices, including Justice Kavanaugh, who, as I recall, swore up and down in front of God and everyone, including the United States Congress, that they were going to leave settled case law alone. So, yes, people are upset. They're going to exercise their First Amendment rights. And as long as that's peaceful, that's protected. I'm really trying, guys. First off. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to the program. 
your lovable little living Daria here, Dana Lash. Kane, I'm trying. I was telling our friends here, ladies and gents, I'm trying so hard to just keep my eyes in my head because I roll them so hard. Right, I'm trying hard to be the shepherd. I am Jules sitting in the restaurant talking to Ringo. I'm trying real hard, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. He's talking about, obviously, the Dobbs case, Roe v. Wade, and then Brett Kavanaugh, who couldn't even, well, he finished his meal at Morton's in D.C. Now, and then that's when you had one of the groups that are also apparently putting bounties on justices to harass them. They are following these guys and trying to, I mean, just nonstop. Now, you would think, and I just want to lay this out here, because new mom, Secretary Buttigieg, and I don't even know why he's being asked this. My question to him would be like, what the hell are you doing about the airlines right now here? Stooge, what you doing? Stooge Buttigieg, what are you doing? What's happening? What are you doing with the airlines? What are you doing with TSA? What are you, what are you, oh my gosh, what? No, instead they're asking him about everything else. The media is aiding and abetting this guy to leapfrog to the top of the line here. Can I just say, sidebar, who doesn't want to see a slap fight between Gavin Newsom, who is more, a little bit more of a higher brand than Poot B. Judge, who is kind of like the great value discounted dollar store item, Right. They all come from the same, you know, white dude, short haircut, trousers factory, right? John Ossoff came from that factory. They put them together. They just, they just, they, they have a a ton of parts. It's the only thing that didn't suffer in the supply chain shortage. So they're asking him about all of this other stuff. I would like to lay it at, at uh, Secretary Mayor Transportation new mom Poot's feet here that Brett Kavanaugh legit had a guy trying to kill him. Legit had a guy who was arrested down the street from his house going to murder him and probably his family. That makes this a little bit different, okay? Especially when Secretary Mayor Transportation New Mom Poot, when one of his superiors, Chuck Schumer, was out there like an angry lizard screaming about, you know, it's going to go such Kavanaugh and all the other stuff. Yeah. You're going to pay the price for doing your job, apparently. Ah, Whatever makes the socialist happy. Ah. You had that. You had all these people like Maxine Waters and everybody else. This guy had someone down the street who was going to kill him, and they were arrested. So this is a little bit different. And by the way, can we just stop with the whole, well, apparently privacy's thrown out the window now that women can't rip their baby's arms off in utero. I mean, it's just... You know, if the if the no, there is nothing that better defines privacy than ripping apart a person in utero because you took tam long, too damn long to make a decision about that one night that you had sex and and didn't do it responsibly. No one will say that. I will, but no one else will. That's ultimately what this is. It's not Kavanaugh's fault, and I'm not saying this. Ruth Bader Ginsburg essentially said this: that Democrats rushed through Roe v. Wade. And demanded to have it pass something, however they can structure this argument. And it mind-numbingly, ridiculously was determined to be some kind of privacy issue. And even Ginsburg, before her death, and not just her, even even uh, 
Scalia before his death, so many just I mean, Democrats, other judges, other Democrat lawyers were saying eh, it's kind of shaky decision. It's shaky, shaky opinion, it's shaky law. We got to it's you know, there could be something that comes up that's actually going to challenge this at some point. And that's exactly what happened. That wasn't Kavanaugh's fault to try to set up this to build this house on sand. That was Democrats. They were simply following the rule, the logic and, and, consi- and being consistent with that and following the law. Now, if Democrats so, if they believe that this is so important, why are they focusing on Supreme Court justices? They're not elected officials that make law. Why don't Democrats try to propose this and write a bill? If you want it to pass, then write a bill and try to pass it. Do that. That's how this is supposed to go. It's not an issue of privacy. Well, apparently, they're trying to say that because women can't go and use abortion as birth control, then no one should be able to eat dinner in peace. The choice is before conception, and it happens before you hit the bed, not when you get in the stirrups. Big difference. And I just... Also, I didn't think he was a biologist. So why is this progressive male remarking upon women's issues? He's not a biologist. He is not a biologist. He may be able to breastfeed and birth children, apparently. I don't know. But he's not a biologist. I'm just, say, I'm just saying, who, who among us knows? Science is whatever we want it to be. Well, you would be mean. No, notice you can't say wrong. You're just mean. Now, we have more. I have, because this is, he's saying that, that uh, now, and I will add, does, does Mayor Secretary of Transportation new mom, Poot Buttigieg, also believe that it's appropriate for people to show up at a restaurant where he's eating and follow him and chasten around and scream at them, et cetera, et cetera? Because I would imagine that th- his answer afterwards would sound quite different. I would actually still be opposed to that. I've never liked that. I've never liked that stuff. I've never liked going to people's houses. I've never liked doing that. And I participated in a lot of rallies and protests during the, in the day, but I never went to somebody's house because I just thought, you know what, that's not where this stuff is decided and that's where their families are. And I just think that there's a line of decency. Now, if you start showing up and confiscating my guns, that's different. Then it changes. Just saying. It's his life mission to make bad decisions. It's time for Florida Man. All right, I'm going to be fast with this because we went along with Jack, but it was worth it. An armed Florida man was tasered and arrested Saturday because he tried to flee deputies on a lawnmower. 40-year-old man, they tried to stop him. He was on top of a lawnmower. They wanted him to get off and surrender, but he refused and tried to flee on the lawnmower, according to Okaloosa County Sheriff's Office. So they chased him as much as you can chase someone on a lawnmower on foot, and then they finally had to tase him to subdue him. He's been charged with grand theft, felony criminal mischief, grand theft of a vehicle, possession of a concealed weapon by convicted felon. Oh my gosh, more than I can actually get in the remaining four seconds we have. Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of Dana Lash's Absurd Truth Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Anti-human trafficking warrior Rossi Orozco joins me to explain how open borders are leading to a huge increase in human trafficking into our country and the horrific sexual exploitation of women, girls, and boys. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, Rossi will explain how the trafficking process works and how big of a business it is for the cartels. It's a tough story that we all need to know. Follow the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.